What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of VGM Generations. You're listening to part three. No, part three. Yes, part three. <laughs> part three <laughs> of episode. What day is it? Where uh, am I? Where am I? <laughs> I don't learn so good. <laughs> you should watch some Sesame Street. No, yeah. that's right. Part three of episode 13 of uh, this month of episodes, and we are talking about the franchises we love. And with me, as always, is Aaron Blauchuk. Three. Ah, ah, ah. And Jordan Belinsky. You must defeat Sheng Long to stand a chance. <laughs> Who's Sheng Long? I always wondered. It was a translation error. Oh, yeah. It was supposed to be Dragon Punch. You must oh. defeat my Dragon Punch to stand a chance. <laughs> I thought Sheng Long was How supposed to be Sheng... like a guy. Oh, Where do you get Shen Long for Dragon Punch? Let, let's save it for uh, Street Fighter talk later. Right, okay. Right. But uh, it is Aaron's turn. I'm going first. Indeed to go first this time. All right. All right. Back to the obscure franchise that I love. It's not really an obscure franchise. People know it, but Fra- Fantasy Star is popular, but it's kind of faded off in a, in a little while, last few years. Yeah, I was oh. going to say, um, uh, you know, my girlfriend will ask me, well, what did Jordan pick? What did Aaron pick? And I said, Aaron picked, uh, Jordan picked Street Fighter, which you obviously know. And then I said, uh, Aaron picked Fantasy Star, which you probably haven't ever played. And she's like, no, incorrect. I played Fantasy Star <laughs> online. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, guess what? It's not even real Fantasy Star. That's what Aaron said. I don't know, but it's it, not apparently. It, it's it's still developed by Sega. Yeah. It's still... You know, it's got the title and shares a lot of common but not, elements, but not it's exactly not the same game. It's not part of the story yeah, of Fantasy Star. Exactly. That's the thing. I picture when she called you out as being wrong, she gave you like a Dwight Schrute false. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so I'm talking about actually the game in the series that is most near and dear to my heart, Fantasy Star 3. Oh, Episode 3, and we're talking about Fantasy Star 3, and this one had a subtitle. It was called Fantasy Star 3, Generations of Doom. Ooh. It's crazy. Yeah. Last Such episode, we title. talked a lot about Doom, but a different type of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> and this one's because it's called Generations of Doom because oh, it's so topical it's, to the podcast. <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> Actually, you could even go back to this game. And We're going to change the name of the <laughs> VGM <laughs> Generations of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny thing is, is that you could, and I, maybe I've said this about other games, but this really is, this one cemented my love of music specifically on the Genesis. This is one of the first games that I can recall being on the Genesis where I actually thought, like, this music is great. I would just listen to this music outside of this game, specifically. Now, Generations of Doom came out in 1991, and for this Genesis game, it was a new composer in the series. So it was Izuo Takeuchi who was credited as Ippo. All so, the, so all the composers got these really yeah. butchered, sort of translated, not not really the real names, just some fake name? Well, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Itsuo, um, who was actually, and I think the name Ippo was yeah. sort of like a weird anglicized version of Itsuo. Oh, okay, because the last guy was Bo, right? Bo, and yeah. so this one was... Ippo. This is Ippo, and this, is, uh, this was a female composer as oh. well in the series, so... Um, More progression. <laughs> there, there you go. Now, it was called Generations of Doom because the game actually spanned three generations of characters. Um, you, get, you get married in the game, you grow old and die three times. In fact... Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, that was sort of the uh, basis of the ad that first drew my attention to the series, and I'm going to talk about that one in a second. But with the different generations, as you go through these progressions of characters, it led to um, four possible completely different endings. Oh, I like that. To the game. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the, what originally drew me to this game is um, I was reading... This is way back. Of course, this was in 1991 or even before 1991. 
um, I was reading a magazine. It was probably Electronic Gaming Monthly. And I came across this full two-page spread ad. So it's like spanning both pages. And it was of a skeleton playing the Genesis. And it said that at the top. By the time you finish Fantasy Star 3, you will grow old, get married, and die three times. And wow. something about that, like that just <laughs> stuck hit with me. You. It just hit me like a ton <laughs> of bricks. And I'm like, I was, I became obsessed with this ad. So I was like, I like it had about six force to six screenshots on it. And I would just pour over these screenshots trying to figure out what was going on. There was a little like blurb about the game. And I, I remember like I, I cut out in the magazine, I actually cut out the screenshots and I saved them. I, I just wanted I wanted to know about this game. So you just, ruined you ruined the two page spread by I cutting did. out the pictures. I did, but I wanted I I was I was obsessed with this ad. It's weird because it wasn't even the game I was obsessed with. It so what did you do with the pictures? Did you just tape them to your ceiling and I think go so. to bed at night yeah. and staring at them? And I probably like to tape. <laughs> yeah, I taped them to like, something in my room. There's I'm screenshots sure. in further. a two page ad. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> like, is that is there a bug <laughs> on my ceiling? And seriously, like in the ad, they were small screenshots. We're talking like an inch by like half an inch. Yeah. Like tiny, tiny little things. But um, we went, when I saw this ad, I remember, I, fig- I found out that the game wasn't out in Canada. You couldn't actually oh, get it in Canada. Terrible. And they were like, Mom and Dad, we got to go to the States. Well, <laughs> kind of. What actually happened was, is my dad would take a lot of business trips to the States. Oh, perfect. And I begged him. I'm like, yeah, I just begged him. If you go see to EB Games. Fantasy, like EB Games wasn't a thing. Didn't exist at the time. No? What, no, what no, were the game stores back then? I guess Toys there was always Us. Toys R Us. Yeah. <laughs> Did they like, have video games even all even back then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Toys R Us. I remember buying NES games at Toys R Us. Okay. You'd go to like Zellers or Sears. Yeah, I guess yeah. just the, the major retailers carried yeah. games. Yeah. 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 Zellers and Sears. But specifically when I think back to buying video games in those early areas, er- eras, like Genesis, Game Boy, um, NES, I do remember buying them at Toys R Us. And I even remember what the displays looked at Toys R Us. They were like full walls with like little flip cards of just the title. Like you would, it would like the box art on one side and you flip it over and there would be like just all the back of the thing information. It wasn't actually boxes of the games, yeah. just those cards, right? And then yeah. you brought that up and they would give you a game? You'd, or? You'd, I think it was similar to what you do now is that you get like a ticket. You'd, yeah. There'd be like a little... Okay. Yeah, there'd be like there'd a piece of paper. Kind of like pre-ordering games now. You get like a little piece of paper and yeah, then you come back the, and they give you the There'd be like game. an envelope with each one of those and you it, it would be full of the number of tickets to the numbers of the game they actually oh, had. Okay. And then you'd take one of those pieces of papers, you bring it to the front, and then they'd exchange that for the yeah. game. Good so, system. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they still don't do that. Yeah. But, but you couldn't do that for this game in no. Canada. No, because they didn't have it in Canada. So I so begged, begged my dad, dad. And my dad went on this business trip and I remember... I remember the day he came back from that business trip is that he came home and he set his suitcase down on the bed. And I don't think I even said hello to him. I don't think I said anything to <laughs> Did him. Did you just dr- dive into the I suitcase? I dove into like a cartoon suitcase character? <laughs> and I tore it apart <laughs> and I found it. It was oh, in there. Okay. And I didn't expect it. I absolutely didn't expect it. Like yeah. this was one of those like pipe dream things where I was begging for it. Never in a million years did, did think? I think he would even find it, let alone <laughs> buy it. Because I, I thought all that stuff was like bouncing off of him. I didn't think he like retained any of my constant nonsense, <laughs> like asking for a game called Fantasy Star 3, which must have just sounded like nonsense to him. <laughs> yeah, it's the greatest game ever. You yeah. don't understand. Play the last two games. <laughs> but he got it. And I, and I grabbed it. And I was like so excited, like, you know, holding it, dancing around the house. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Turns out, 
they were supposed to, they were going to hide it. It was going to be a birthday oh, present. So you wrecked the present. <laughs> so I wrecked the present. Whatever. And I was in trouble and it, Oh really? Uh, <laughs> I was in trouble because you know, it was, it was terrible of me to just start digging through his suitcase yeah. and find this game. So, and I felt, I felt very remorseful, but my parents came to the decision that because I knew it was there, they wouldn't make me wait and they wouldn't take it away. Oh. I got to play it. That's so. awesome. That's good. Yeah. And all the remorse <laughs> just faded away. <laughs> You're a bad kid and you have awesome parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I actually, while I was researching this, I found that two-page magazine spread online. Yeah. And I, we could tweet it out. We'll tweet oh, it out. Yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> to see what that actually looked like. That Be like, anyone remember this? <laughs> <laughs> so um, without further ado, this is the uh, title track from Fantasy Star 3 Generations of Doom called... Generations of Doom. <laughs> Perfect. This game sort of starts out. Uh, there's an intro part while this is playing, and it's talking about this. This is it like a scrolling text, like scrolling text kind yeah, of thing. This feels like scrolling yeah, text. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where you see 
Like what it sees is you see like a, a sunrise over the this planet and this text is scrolling up and it's ex explaining that a thousand years ago there was this uh, great war between these two powers. Um, it's like Arachio and Le Leia, like this male and female. They came from different societies. There was a great war that nearly wiped out civilization, but that was a thousand years ago. Nobody knows what happened to them, yet these two societies are still, like they basically sealed themselves off from one another and nobody's seen one of this opposite side in a thousand years. Now, the weird thing is, is I didn't realize this at the time, but uh, none of this story has anything to do with the fantasy star games that came before it. Oh, really? This was not a direct sequel that the story didn't lead into it where, you know, like, you know who the ancestors are. Basically, this was like completely different people, completely different characters, did not take place in the Algol solar system like the other ones. So it was, and, I, and of course, like I said, this was the first game I played. I didn't know any of this at the time, but it's actually quite cool because as you go through the uh, thing, you actually learn that you're the remains of a society that like what I explained in uh, the last episode that a satellite crashed into the planet of Palma and, yeah. and destroyed it. Now, what this is in Fantasy Star 3 is that you're on an artificially created bioform satellite that was launched from Palma in the moments before it was destroyed. So it's basically these people who have like blasted <laughs> off and they've been drifting across space for the past thousand years. Mm. And, and then it ties back into the whole Dark Force mythos as well because a little part of Dark Force got onto that satellite and it's been a thousand years. So now it's like rising up to do the same thing as in the other fancy stars. But it's so weird that for the most of the game, you have no idea of this connection. And then it really all ties together like in the last chapter. That's awesome. Yeah. You know what I like? You know, as you've been talking about it throughout the month, you know what I need? I need a fantasy star movie. <laughs> this is great I, movie I would, fodder. This yeah. is this will be such a cool fantasy movie. And this was the first series that really that really introduced me to storyline in games. Yeah, about, oh for sure. Yeah, and and about like complex characters and interesting stories and the, inter, the, the relationship between characters and stuff like that. Like this this was epic in every sense of the word. Exactly. Epic. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Now, I found out an interesting fact about the beginning of this game is that when it starts, as this intro is playing, it basically talks about the war that happened a thousand years ago, and you're the crown prince of this one society who hasn't seen, like, the Leian society in a thousand years. And it's what happens is this mysterious woman wa washes up on the beach, and uh, he falls in love with her, Little Mermaid style. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, what else do you do with mysterious women that wash up on the beach? <laughs> and it turns out that it's, it's a woman from this other society, this Leian society, this oh. forbidden society, right? Of course. And so what happens is on it takes the first part of the game, it takes place on your wedding day, where you're about to marry this woman, but then like this dragon monster comes in and says, filthy Iraqians, you can't marry, you can't marry her and takes her away. And he basically vows to go to war with this other society and destroy them all to bring them back. Does he put on a suit of armor and call himself Arthur and <laughs> <laughs> run off to save her? He should. And there's <laughs> is this moment where like, all the guards suddenly like suit up into armor out of the blue. One second, they're just standing there at your wedding. And yeah. then all of a sudden, like a switch turns and they're all like fully suited they're up like, in armor. It's like the Iron Man armor where they just like, they have yeah. it in like their watch <laughs> and there's like. <laughs> <laughs> but basically what happens is the king at that point says, all right, calm down. You can't just go to war. And he throws you in the dungeon. And that's when the, the game proper actually starts. Oh, now here's the great thing is that. Before the wedding, you have a little bit, you have a chance to sort of walk around the town and, you know, talk to people, visit the shops. But of course, you don't have any money or anything yet. But uh, what you can do is if you sell the gear that you start with, essentially like your cape and your boots, 
So basically, you sell all of your clothes that you're wearing yeah. <laughs> at the beginning, and you're you get uh, married naked. <laughs> you make enough money to buy an item called an escape pipe. An escape pipe is basically that item that allows you a quick exit from a dungeon. Most games have something like that, where if you're in a dungeon, you can just use it and get out. So if you sell all your clothes, you can buy an escape pipe. Then after the wedding, when your father throws you in the dungeon, instead of like getting out the normal way, like following the story, you can just use your escape pipe and get out of the dungeon early, which is hilarious because if you do that and then go talk back to the king, you... you you go back to the throne room, talk to the king, and he says that, while normally such an escape tactic would be clever, in this case, you have broken the game and must restart. <laughs> really? That's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> so it's so like, totally you think the you're so wall. smart, but yeah, sorry, you've basically screwed the game and you've got to start from the That's beginning. That's hilarious. So. They couldn't figure out, like, didn't have the space to write in something, so they're just like, no, nope, game's broken. Well, Press restart. I, I feel like the fact that they acknowledged it yeah. um, tells me that maybe they could have found a way to fix it, but they thought this would have been better. Yeah. Yeah. It was so like, funnier. Anyway. Well, the fact, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, they broke it, right? They oh, yeah. put in the fact that you can buy the escape bike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they but, broke it and then punished you for breaking the game. They built it into a scenario that you're not likely to come yeah. across in your first playthrough. I never actually did that. I only found out about it years and years later. Online. Yeah. That's yeah. more like It's almost like an Easter egg to do that. Yeah. yeah. Now, musically, this game did something something really awesome as well. And that was when you first, like most RPGs, um, there's an overworld where you travel between towns and you sort of on the thing. You start off where it's just your main character. His name's Rise. And he kind of travels around. And the music is fairly simple at that point. It's composed of like one or two instruments. But every time you add a member to your party, a new instrument is added to the overworld map. So you get a new character, and then all of a sudden, like a drum is added. You I, like that. Character I like that. And they're like a, a like secondary sort of melody is, is yeah. added, and it was really cool because in my head, I imagined that these characters had instruments, and then as we were like <laughs> marching were around the world, they're just <laughs> yeah. everybody's playing. Everybody's just, uh, like it, marching band. Kind of reminds it, me of Peter and the Wolf. Yeah. How every every character is represented yeah, by a different actually, instrument. That's perfect. Except yeah. except they're all building a song together. Is what yeah. you're saying, right? Until you get your like full five man party or whatever it is, and yeah. then you've got like the full complement. Yeah, like you've got your complete orchestra, and it's the, the and like people hear you coming over the hill, yes. and it's like, wow, that sounds like an orchestra. <laughs> I better run. <laughs> but I always love the dragon that. hears you coming and just yeah. flees. Yeah, I love that about this game. Now this game also was a huge step up graphically from Fantasy Star 2, which had like simple like uh, sprites and text and like black outlines around everything and everything's very simple. But this one went hyper-realistic in a lot of like the overworld stuff, lots they were of colors. Trying to match the box art this time? <laughs> well, again, I was going to bring it up how, yeah, <laughs> in the tradition of talking about fantasy now, stuff. The box art wasn't as bad as like the previous ones. It basically showed there was like a guy walking up a staircase holding a sword and there's a, some sort of a monster at the top of the staircase is shooting a laser and the guy's deflecting it with his sword. And that's actually pretty cool box art. Yeah. Again, doesn't have a lot to do with the actual game. I suppose that the character on the front, that the, like the monster is supposed to be Dark Force, but looks nothing like Dark Force in the game. But this is the first time where the box art was different, but intriguing to me. It was like, it, it, I, I wanted to know more just based on the box art. And this was the first time that happened in this series. Cause like you've got this staircase that's going to nowhere into outer space. And this monster is just standing on the end of like the staircase that goes nowhere and you're blocking with your sword and the guy's wearing a cool cape. That's one thing <laughs> I liked about this game is that all the main characters wore capes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've said it before, but dark force sounds so much like a comic book villain. <laughs> like Dark Seed is what... Yeah. Every time you say Dark Force, I think of Dark Seed. So I think of this like omnipresent, like, you know, giant 
evil being kind of thing. I actually think that um, there was a point where me and my older brother, we decided we'd make our own comic book and where we were superheroes. And I think the villain in that I called Dark Force just because of the fantasy star yeah, influence as well. Sure. So. Uh, also, one thing I'll mention with the graphics, I said the graphics in this game were really good, yeah. but it had the absolute worst battle animations I'd ever seen ever in any <laughs> game and ever will. They, they used so many resources on just the awesome sprites. Yeah, they the, had nothing left. Yeah, like, and you go into battle and you see these great monsters and they look awesome. They'll be like a giant, but nothing is animated, right? And when, you, when they attack, they'll like wiggle their finger at you or something like that. <laughs> They'll actually like lift their finger or wiggle their finger yeah. or like raise their eyebrows, and that was all the attack. It kind of, it kind of <laughs> reminds me of Pokemon, yeah. where like you know you'd have like this, you know, you'd use an attack like tackle, and then you would just, just kind of <laughs> yeah. jump back and forth a little bit, and you're like, that's it, yeah. <laughs> like, and which was weird because Fancy Star Two had great at battle animations. Yeah. I guess yeah. they they like they traded off. Yeah. They were like. What do we think is more important? And the, then the, the first one, the guy who was like, the battle animations, he won. And then Fantasy Star 3, the guy was like, no, nah, the art's more important. And then he won. <laughs> and then they all, everybody won in Fantasy Star 4, where it yeah, had like awesome art and awesome animation. animation. But we will talk about that next week when we get to Fantasy Star 4. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all, that sounds like that's all you got for Fantasy Star 3. So I will go on to my pick. And uh, my pick, this this week is uh we're actually going off script a little bit so we were kind of going through the the core halo games if you will so you know halo one two three four five would be the core halo games but we're jumping over <laughs> to uh halo wars uh is what we're jumping over to so a a different game uh by a different composer so um halo wars um was so it was actually made by not bungie but ensemble studios who did all of the um Age of Empires games, which were, when I was growing up, uh, were some of my favorite, favorite games. I love Age of Empires, too. Yeah. 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 yeah, (laughs) Uh, We used to... uh, we used to play online and uh, these were in the days before like online voice chat. So we would just call each other and hold up everybody's house phone line for hours on end while we played games. Uh, But uh, so yeah, Ensemble Studios and uh, still published by Microsoft in 2009. So we're talking two years after Halo 3. And the music is by the composer Stephen Rippey, who did all of the music for the Age of Empire games. So I get to mention him, which makes me very happy because, like I said, I love those games. So, um, so, but the fifth official Halo game uh, in the whole line, uh, but a very a large departure, obviously, from a first-person shooter to go to an RTS. Um, it's a prequel to Combat Evolved, uh, and it occurs like 21 years in the timeline before the events of Combat Evolved. Uh, and it is a it is a strange beast in that it is a console RTS, which is not a very popular <laughs> um, genre of games. Um, and often because it's very hard to do. Uh, it's very hard to manage a giant map with a controller. It's much better suited to a keyboard and mouse. But this game uh, was an exception. Um, Ensemble, basically Microsoft came to Ensemble Studios and said, we want you to do this and do it right and figure it out. And so they designed the game from the ground up around specifically the Xbox 360 controller. This game really, really wouldn't really work on any other controller as well as it did on the Xbox controller. Um, they're, uh, it, they, yeah, like I said, they designed it from the ground up. And if anyone who, anyone who played, um, Starcraft on the Nintendo 64 <laughs> oh. <laughs> will know how bad <laughs> well they'll know how bad console RTS can go but 
this this was they did it right and they did a great job and uh, this game was very popular um, despite being such a, a drastic uh, departure from the regular series and did really well. But um, onto the music, uh, IGN at the time this game came out did a great interview with uh, Stephen Rippey about the music and um, what he talks about is wanting to maintain the Halo feel but giving the game its own distinct soundtrack so that people knew that people knew that it you know, it wasn't just another Halo game. It was kind of something different. And um, he composed, uh, the music kind of changes. It's all, it has all different feelings for different things. And in the skirmish mode, which is just like the battle mode, um, the music reflects the environment rather than the factions. But then in the campaign mode, uh, the music reflects like the characters and stuff like that. So there's all sorts of different things. But what we're going to listen to is um, the first song, like the title song of the game called Spirit of Fire. So let's have a listen. actually remember playing you talked about like console rts's and it certainly yeah. reminded me of a, a game an rts that i played way back in the genesis which was actually really good oh, okay and i forgot it kind of forgot about it until this moment until you mentioned console rts's but i should go back and play power monger which i believe okay. was power a sequel monger. to uh it was a sequel to uh the game populous i know Populous. Sure. Yeah, yeah i pretty I think it was a sequel to that and what i loved about power monger is that you had individual control over individual citizens mm. and i remember playing one t- this is totally off topic. No, go ahead. I hope it's okay that I go on no, a tangent yeah, here. No, yeah, absolutely. But uh, <laughs> what it wouldn't be VGM <laughs> generations without tangents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were you have like you were kind of like the god, and you would uh, direct the society and and that kind of thing. And I remember there was one island like way out in the middle of nowhere on this map that I was playing, and it had one human living on it that was like loyal to me as a god yeah. and i made it my mission to like save this guy this i had one guy i had himself. to i had to bring him into my fold this one guy who inexplicably was just loyal to me so i had to like 
I had to like teach him how to chop down trees and <laughs> build a boat and do all this stuff. And it was all part of my master plan to have him rejoin society. And I think he, he made it like almost made it ashore and then his boat sank and he died. Oh, I was going to say, I, was, I thought you were going to say like he turned out to be the devil <laughs> or something. It was just, he a, was big just trip. a random dude. But like, I, I remember it because it became this big epic story in my mind about having to save this guy, which is the only reason he was loyal to me. It was some sort of like just glitch in the game or something, but yeah, <laughs> it was, it was that's fun. hilarious. But uh, so to talk more about the, the Halo Wars and, and the development of the music, um, because there's this great IGN interview, like I mentioned, uh, we did learn a lot about uh, all the music and how it was developed. And so um, one of the things he did was, Stephen said he imposed like his own self-imposed rules where like the music changed depending on the environment, but every environment had to have a different thing. So one could have guitars, but not piano. And then like the other would have piano, but not guitars and stuff like that. So they, they all had their own very distinct feeling. Um, the whole, uh, the whole like composition and recording of all this music took almost a year to do the full game. Um, he uh, he used a dynamic music system, but not Bungie's dynamic music system. So it still had that uh, that kind of randomness to it, and where the music would start and stop, and it was triggered. Um, but it was a little different. It was a it was a product that was already on the market called Audio Kinetic WYS. Um, which is a little free advertising mm-hmm. for them, I guess. <laughs> but, Sounds uh, super techie. It does, but uh, so um, yeah, so like just like just like in the regular Halo games, each battle sequence, uh, the musical cue was like split up and would mix differently. And then um, once the once the battle was over, you get this little outro play, and then you go back to the world music. So um, the uh, the whole score though this game um, you know we talked about Halo One how like twenty minutes of music was good for eighty hours of gameplay kind of thing uh, this game has seventy five minutes of music so it's it's the whole the whole game is scored top to bottom so and all all with um, its own its own great music so great music uh, totally different though like if you listen to the full soundtrack like even the track we just listened to like you still get that Halo piano in there so you're like this is probably a Halo game but this is something different. So I really, I, lo- I love especially this track. This, uh, the actually what first um, got me, just as a fun side story, what first got me interested in this track is I was working at Future Shop at the time and um, we had like all these TVs and they would just play trailers all the time, all different stuff. So the movie trailers, m- TV show trailers and game trailers. And um, they would always play the trailer for Halo Wars. And so I would hear this music all the time and it wasn't, what drew me to it the first time was the music. I was like, what is that track? Like, that is a good uh, track. Mm-hmm. And then I walked over and I was like, oh, this is for Halo Wars. And then I was like, I got to play this game. So, yeah. so it's pretty cool. I didn't get, I didn't dive into this game like some people did. This game had a bit of a cult following. And actually, uh, we can mention now that Halo Wars 2 is coming out pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, developed by a totally different studio because very sadly, Ensemble Studios was shut down just before this game launched. Um, Microsoft decided to close them. And uh, the, like a little small side studio was developed that, you know, supported the game and actually released some DLC for it. But Ensemble Studios has now gone away. But Halo Wars is coming out uh, developed by a different studio. I can't remember who it is. Is um, nobody involved from the first project? Uh, there, you know what? There might be some people hung who have hang, hung around. Um, hanged around. Hanged around. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> Me no talk so hang, good. Hanged in, <laughs> hanged in the back closet. Yeah, exactly. Well, as we yeah. learned before the episode started, uh, Mike never watched Sesame Street when he was a kid. So Mikey no talk so, so good. <laughs> it's a problem with words. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, but uh, there may be some people that 
but you know, we're there for the original development and, uh, but it won't be Steven Rippey doing the music for Halo Wars two. So we'll have to see how it sounds. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll still get a great composer, but, um, you talked about a few different composers. Well, a new composer now. Yeah. Um, are there themes like, like that, uh, you know, like a Halo theme song or anything. Like, I don't know anything about Halo. Are there, are they always new music? Cause you talk about how different the music is. Oh, you mean, Does is Mr. Halo like a, have like a leap motif where, you know, yeah, yeah, there, there kind of is one. Um, and it's like in the first, um, soundtrack for combat evolved, there is a song just called Halo. I actually played it at the end of the first episode okay. uh, where I mentioned it. And, um, it's kind of like the main theme. And in two, um, it got uh, it got like a remix with like really heavy guitars, like big metal guitars uh, called the Mil- Milnir, which is Thor's hammer, which is very hard to say. Okay, because there's a J in the middle of yeah. it. Some stupid reserve. Yeah, oh, Milnir yeah. or Milnir. Um, uh, the Milnir mix, and where it's like it comes in, like so it starts normally, and then <laughs> you get this screaming guitar <laughs> come in. It's so good. How, I love how does it. how does the scream go? And then everyone knows it. Like if you heard it, even if you've like, I think like anybody who's ever gamed, even if you've never played Halo, if you hear that, like that rock guitar, you're like, all right, that's even based on those sounds you just made. I knew what it was. Yeah. You know what I'm talking (laughs) about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the other, yeah, exactly. The, the last thing I wanted to mention about Halo Wars though, is just, um, one of the coolest things about it was we got really, really great, Halo cinematics for the first time. It, like Halo 3 had good stuff, but these were all pre-rendered because obviously it was for an RTS, so they couldn't use any in-game engine stuff. So they um, they contracted a studio to do these really fantastic, um, really fantastic in-game cutscenes, and um, and people praised it for it. They it was one just, of the things that was mentioned in all the reviews. They should have just got those guys from like Red versus Blue just to uh, <laughs> do some like some machinima machinima yeah. Yeah, style. Yeah, so. That was actually <laughs> another thing I didn't mention, but uh yeah, Halo, the original Halo kind of invented machinima with with Red ver- like the Red versus Blue guys invented it with Halo, I should say. Mm-hmm. Would be more correct, but uh yeah, if you if you're a big fan of Red versus Blue. My girlfriend actually, she's big into Red versus Blue. I never knew <laughs> and then we like we were on Netflix the other day and she's like you've watched Red vs. Blue, right? And I was like, not really. And we started watching it and she starts laughing at all these like inside jokes that became <laughs> inside jokes later because we watched the first episode, right? And I'm like, why is this funny to you? And like all the, <laughs> this is no fun to watch with you, I can't. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> kind of thing. But yeah, but that's it for me and uh, Halo Wars. So Jordan, what do you have for us this month? Well, I'm going to continue talking about my favorite franchise. This was, I just realized while we were recording, this is the first, uh, the first series, the first game being Street Fighter 2 that I, as a kid, would pick up a, a radio and put it next to the TV and I would put a cassette tape in and hit record. Nice. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's old school. We've all done that. Yeah, yeah. we've all done it, but uh, this Jordan. was yours. But this was my first. Yeah. This and uh, another Capcom franchise, Mega Man, those were the two franchises that uh, got me into game music. So if it weren't for them, I'd, you know, I'd still be into game music. Probably just taking a little, <laughs> little longer to realize. Just that story though is like, you deserve to be here. You yeah. know what I mean? Like if you're, oh, if yeah. you're as a kid, you're walking well, up with the, with the boom box and recording your game music off the TV just so you could listen to it later. There, there was a sound test. Like, I, like you could oh, go that was to the sound best, test. Cause yeah. then you just got the music. And I, I, so I would record it off the sound test. So it was a piece of cake. I didn't have to like go into the game and go into the stage and wait yeah, for the yeah. timer to run out. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, Oh damn. And then I would, go, I would like fall asleep, <laughs> fall asleep at night to like Giles theme. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> How could you fall asleep to that? Yeah, you're laughing like that's an embarrassing story <laughs> or something like that. But <laughs> but we've all been there and that's awesome. <laughs> that's the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. 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 
So anyways, um, back on topic of Street Fighter, I want to talk about another offshoot cross series. Um, this one's probably one of the most popular cross series in the in the Street Fighter legacy, uh, Marvel vs. Capcom. So technically not Street Fighter, but it's got a huge Street Fighter cast and it's all based around Capcom fighting. So I think it doesn't really get any more Street Fighter than that, except, you know, an actual Street Fighter game. But Anyways, we're going to cheat, and we're going to talk about the Marvel vs. Capcom series. I was series. hoping you would talk about uh, Puzzle. Puzzle, Puzzle Fighter. Fighter yeah. Oh, I love that game. <laughs> <laughs> should do a little more research on that. Maybe I can throw it in, uh, you know, on a side note next time. Yeah, well, you yeah. mentioned, like, Dan in the last episode, and that's who I'd play as. Well, like, yeah, and, and I know, Fighter. like, and Mike, you've talked about Puzzle Fighter as well. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you both have played it. There's even, like, a, I forget what it's called, the actual name, but there's, like, a Puzzle Fighter Fighter, where it's not, like, a puzzle game, but it's, like, the chibi Street Fighter characters oh, in their really? Puzzle Fighter form in an actual fighting game. I gotta play that game. And <laughs> I have it on PS2. Oh, really? Um, no, next actually, time, next time. I think it ties into this episode. Oh, perfect. <laughs> we'll see if I get around to it. Maybe not. All right. So, um, so when Capcom started working with uh, Marvel, they one of the first games that sort of ties into this franchise, they did um, uh, X-Men Children of the Atom, and they did another game called Marvel Superheroes. And they were just X-Men fighting games or Marvel fighting games, but it introduced that graphic style, that really like comic book um, Capcom style. It introduced like the big super moves. And uh, if you're familiar with the series, it's known for it's like very high vertical scrolling levels. So unlike most fighting games where it's very much on a horizontal screen, uh, like this has that too, but um, you can super jump and you can go like four stories up in the air and you can fight in the air and it becomes just madness. Now, games you, like that. you need to correct me if I'm wrong and I'm probably wrong. You're wrong. Did this introduce <laughs> the uh, like tag team system as well? Um, it's in this serious one, but it didn't, it didn't. Well, I don't know if it invented it. Yeah. I don't know if it invented it, but it definitely like had it. Yeah. Uh, it introduced the series introduced multiple players. So um, as this, as the series grew, it became less about, how good you are with this character. And it became more of how good is your team because you could influence each other. Like when you're fighting as say Ryu, um, your, your other partner that you're not playing as that's sort of in the waiting in the back, um, you can call them to assist. So, you know, maybe you could call upon Zangief and he'll do like his lariat punch. So, uh, you know, he, he can assist you and set you up for combos. And that became a big influence. Uh, on top of that, they sort of developed uh, an assist member that was like specifically someone you couldn't play as, but um, somebody that could jump in and help you as well. Yeah, we just pop in off the side they of the screen. They were like, like obscure cameos, right? Yeah, like, like they couldn't quite build awesome. a, full, yeah. <laughs> a full move set. I think it was around uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 1 or 2. It might have been 2 where it became like they give you this even bigger roster of side characters you couldn't play as, but they could jump in and help. Mm. Most of, like a lot of those characters ended up going on to Marvel vs. Capcom 3 where you could play as them. So I remember in 2 you could play as Arthur, mm -hmm. or not play as Arthur, you could call upon Arthur and he'd start throwing his lance at, uh, at the opponent. Awesome. Anyways, <laughs> so that's kind of like a quick jump through yeah. the Marvel vs. Capcom series. There's more to it, but uh, it, the, the interesting um, notes on the series was you're going to introduce Street Fighter characters to fighting these Marvel characters. So right away you're taking these people that are known for just martial arts abilities and you're pitting them against gods and Super mutants. Humans, yeah. So the Street Fighter series had to turn it up to 11. So this is where they introduced like the super, super moves that had to compete. So this is this is what made me fall in love with the series. The first game I ever played was, uh, and I want to get the name right because there's so many in here. There's Marvel Super Heroes versus Street Fighter. And I got into it because 
it was at my, and it wasn't even a local arcade, but it was at uh, the local hangout spot in high school and they had this arcade machine. So I would play it constantly. And at first I was like, okay, well I played Street Fighter arcades before, this game looks cool and it has some Marvel characters, awesome, let's give it a go. And I started pulling off these super moves and if you've never seen the super moves, the game just like does this big shriek the background explodes, you get rainbow laser shooting, <laughs> the ground turns into like you're on Mars all of a sudden, and there's like explosions and smoke, and you pull off this move you've never seen before. So it's like, they, like I said, they had to turn it up to 11. So someone like Ryu who has like the Hadouken, and in some of the older games where he actually developed these super moves, it was like, okay, well he has a bigger Hadouken, but now he's got this move called the Shinku Hadouken, and it like fills the entire screen. And now- The like, Hadouken becomes a spirit bomb? Mm -hmm. Pretty much, <laughs> like, like you, you know, um, in the newest Smash, Mario has this fireball that like yeah. takes up the, <laughs> takes whole, the screen. whole screen. Yeah. So that's what this is. And so somebody like Zangief, who is my favorite character, he would have like in the, in the original games, his big move was the 360 pile driver. He'd grab you, jump in the air and he'd twirl around and pile drive you into the ground. So in this game, how are you going to amp that up to, to 11? Well, he would do, um, a double, what did I write down? He, he has, so he's a double German suplex. Then he turns it into his regular 360 pile driver. Then he throws you up to the top of the screen. So I mentioned this is like a vertical screen. Mm. So he throws you up in the air, like Dragon Ball Z style. He jumps up after you, catches you at the top of the screen. And then he just keeps like spinning and spinning and spinning hits the ground big explosion and that's just like that's just like a regular finishing <laughs> move in the game it's like <laughs> that's awesome it's really cool i was um, hoping he would do like a spinning pile driver and like burrow into the earth and like and come out the, yeah. the other side um yeah no they they like they ha that was a really interesting way to you know to to have what would be considered normal human characters fighting these mutants and gods and for me the moment i saw like these these like acid trip type finishing moves i was like man i got to like this is amazing this is better than street fighter this is so cool <laughs> it is it is a <laughs> it may be a bit disingenuous to call the Street Fighter characters regular humans. <laughs> like, yeah. How many regular well, humans do you know can shoot fireballs? Fireball. Yeah, exactly. The, the, <laughs> the strongest regular humans on the planet yeah, versus yeah, yeah, yeah. some enough. like average mutants. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. But, uh, and Marvel Super Heroes vs. Street Fighter was the first game I ever beat off of a single quarter. I got really, no really, really, really good at the game. I, That's I, crazy. And I, I don't want to get it mixed up with Marvel vs. Capcom 1, but I'm pretty sure the boss was Apocalypse in this one. And there were a couple of, like hidden bosses too. There was Cyber Akuma, which was like Akuma. He had like this, like, of course, From the, the classic. From the year 20XX. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the classic like cybernetic eye. And then he had like a robot gauntlet. Um, and he had wings. <laughs> No, because <laughs> of course I use cyber in the name. So yeah. it's like some sort of big anime character. Also, yep. And um, and my favorite character, I've already said Zangief was my favorite character, but there was um, a hidden version of Zangief. And oh. he was bo in both Marvel superhero. I think he was in Marvel superheroes, but he was also in Marvel vs. Capcom one. And this is where I'm going to lead to. Um, there was a hidden version of Zangief, which is starting to become canon to the series now. It was Mecha Zangief or Metal Zangief. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. he was so cool because, <laughs> for one, like, I just love the grapple character. I love the idea of, like, just being pure muscle and no brains. Like, just this really big, slow, hulking character that can just, like, walk through a punch and grab you <laughs> and just beat the crap out of you. So basically they just ripped off Colossus. They're like, we got Marvel in the game now. So like, well, <laughs> Hulk was in the game too. They had Colossus, they had Hulk. They had like all these big meathead characters. I, I well, I know, I know Hulk is technically smart, but when he's in Hulk mode, yeah. he's, he's not thinking straight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so 
so, um, and if you go back to the history of Zangief, like I remember back in Street Fighter Two, the instruction booklet said like he wrestles bears for fun, you know, like or, or I believe the words were more like um, he'll walk into a punch in the face just to grab you. What else would you expect from a guy who wrestles bears for fun? Mm-hmm. So when they came up with like Mecha Zangief, it's like they removed the ability to block, but he also lost the ability to get like stunned or knocked. So if you hit him with your finishing move. Um, he'll just walk through it. So there's a trade-off. He can't block, but if you shoot him with your finishing move, he'll take the damage, but he'll just walk through it and grab you no matter what you're doing. So like, it's just, <laughs> it's taking that, that concept and just pushing it further. Just <laughs> like he'll, he'll walk through literally every move in the game just to grab you and do that crazy acid trip finishing move I, I mentioned. <laughs> yeah. So let's, on that same note, let's listen to Zangief's theme song from Marvel vs. Capcom 1. Zangief's theme song, also Mecha, like Cyber Zangief's yeah, theme song. Because okay. Mecha Zangief doesn't really have his own theme song. It's just you become Mecha Zangief. I it's, called him Mecha Zangief. Is that his name? You said Cyber Zangief originally. Uh, I said Cyber Akuma. Oh, Cyber I, Akuma, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I called him Mecha. Yeah, Mech- Aaron. <laughs> Cyber Akuma <laughs> and Mecha Zangief. No. <laughs> I called him uh, Mecha Super Zangief. Super Mega Mecha something. Yeah. I call him Mecha Zangief, but I don't know if he actually was named anything in the game. I think in the in the story story arc, he was either called Metal Zangief or Mecha Zangief or Mech Zangief. Mm-hmm. And then when Street Fighter 4 came out, they actually m- turned him into a robot. Because I should mention that although I described Cyber Akuma as being an actual cyborg, Mecha Zangief was just regular Zangief with a gray, uh, a gray palette swap. 
but he had an extra move aside from like walking through punches. He could spit flames out of his mouth mm. and they called it the vodka flame. Of course which, they did. Which was, yeah, I think cause <laughs> his original name before, uh, in the development stage, I think his name was vodka, vodka, Grabalski or something like that. What is with like uh, Japan and like because <laughs> seriously, well, we, we know like punch, punch out. out. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you can mention it, but no, go for it. Oh, it's just it. because uh, Soda we, we know Soda Popinski from the American version of Punch Out, but of course his original name, the Japanese version, was Vodka Drunkinski, <laughs> which because he was a character from Russia and that was very very thin. And he would drink bottles stereotypes. of vodka, but they, yeah, they I guess called it, it Soda, soda Pop. pop. <laughs> Yeah, which is hilarious. It's just funny that Vodka Drunkinski and basically the same name. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and I and I kind of avoided talking about it in the first first week's episode because I felt like I went on and on about Street Fighter 2, but that's where all the real history was because that's where all the, the core characters came into development. And, uh, you know, like, like Zangief was a good example. Um, most people know about the story with Balrog and Bison and Vega and... Most people in the fighting community just call M. Bison the dictator because in Japan, uh, his name is Vega. I want to get this right, Vega. Um, Belrog, the boxer in Japan, his name is M. Bison, which totally makes sense when you realize that M. Bison is actually Mike Bison, which is Mike Tyson. Yeah. So they took a boxer, called him Mike Bison, and... Uh, feared a lawsuit from Mike Tyson in North America. So they, they swapped the names around and then, um, Val Vega in North America, the guy with the claw was Balrog. And so they swapped all three names. They kind of shuffled them up. Why just did they just come up with new names? <laughs> I don't know. That Why would you make it so confusing? <laughs> well, and, and even in uh, the street fighter series now, like, uh, I don't know if it's four or five, but Balrog, he's got this like really cool, um, like, like sparring jacket that he wears and it says crazy Buffalo on it. And that makes total sense. He's like this big, like hulking guy, who's going to like run through you and he's got this Buffalo on his back. It like totally Bison. fits in like yeah. Mike Bison. Mm -hmm, right. Yeah. So last point, I'm going to wrap it back up. Talk about Zangief. One last interesting note. Um, according to street fighter wiki, the metal <laughs> used to create Mecha Zangief was created by a doctor by the name of Dr. Light. <laughs> oh, so there you go. if you don't know, that's the yeah. guy that created Mega Man. That's funny. Hint, hint, like, hint. Hint, except, hint. you know, Mega Man went on to great things and <laughs> Zangief went on to Mecha Zangief fighting. See, I was actually <laughs> yeah. trying to remember where I'd seen Mecha Zangief and yeah. it's in uh, Street Fighter 4. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's in, in the game. He's in there. I believe he's, um, he's in a couple other games too. Yeah, but not as a core character. He's more of like either an Easter egg or in the Training background or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, because it just doesn't really make. I, I believe he's like they've tied it into the story arc that it's a system of like robots that um, Gil, uh, the the boss of Street Fighter Three, I think it was him that created this line of like Zangief robots to like you know be his like do his bidding. Oh, okay, not Doctor Light in that case, or it should have been Doctor Wily, right? Because yeah, Doctor exactly. Light, <laughs> Doctor Light creates the robots, and then Doctor Wily takes them over. Yeah, yeah exactly. Takes them. Well, I was kind of hoping that in the like Street Fighter Four, any later version where they do him, it's not just a palette swap of Zangief. I hope they like gave him like shine and like put like seams and stuff in him rivets yeah. maybe yeah well, totally. they did. he like looks in, much yeah. more metallic yeah. Yeah. yeah they even gave him like where his giant like puff of chest hair it's like a big giant metal like <laughs> triangle now yeah because yeah. <laughs> his chest hair was weird triangle 
before too in the early days, but yeah. they like, they, they, they could have just, you know, they, they took the detail to like, Oh, this guy's got chest hair. So this robot needs to have some metal, <laughs> metal chest I think, hair. I think he's got like a, yeah, on his belt, he's got like a big glowing Z. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mekazangi, so yeah. It's pretty good. He looks he's, cool. he's my new favorite character. I've never <laughs> seen him. He's great. Um, but that's about it. Um, on a, just a little side note, if you're looking for something interesting to play, there's a, there was a fan project called um, Street Fighter Cross Mega Man, which was um, like, it was actually a fan made project. Oh, that was the one that Capcom. Yeah. yeah Capcom okay. found yeah, it you and, talk about it. and they, they, they posted on their website. Uh, they re- they officially endorsed it and it's, you play as Mega Man and you're going through Street Fighter inspired levels and you're fighting at the end. I should say it's the eight bits sprite version of Mega Man. Uh, the end bosses are all the Street Fighter characters. <laughs> and then, do you remember the whole story behind that with like the anniversary and stuff? Well, it was around the uh, the same time as both the Mega Man 25th anniversary and Street Fighter, which yeah. kind of came around around the same so, time. So yeah, the Mega Man 25th anniversary came around and they were like, oh shit, we forgot. And then they were like, hey, <laughs> fan game. Now this is our game. Yeah, yeah. That's a good <laughs> point. Like, we were going to shut it down, but now we'll just release what it. What a weird cop out, but worked in everybody's favor. Yeah, oh, they everybody, totally, everybody loved it, yeah. but it was just funny. Yeah, they dropped the ball and a fan picked it up. So yeah. See, this is what Nintendo should have done because they totally dropped the ball on Metroid's anniversary just recently. Yeah. And they should have just released uh, Axiom Verge, Axiom Verge yeah. or one of those other fans. Yeah, games the, like the Metroid 2 remake. Yeah, another yeah. Metroid 2. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, that's it for uh, the games we're talking about this month. So, Jordan, what have you been playing? Well, I actually have been playing um, another Metroid 2 remake, which is an amazing <laughs> Metroid game that I've... It, what it, a funny coincidence. What? <laughs> Speaking of, yeah. um, I've been playing a lot of that. I haven't played through all of it yet. It's kind of early, so a little too soon to say. Um, but I like it so far. And the other game I'm playing, which... Kind of ties into a game Aaron's, Aaron was playing. Uh, what was the one you talked about? Uh, Anti-chamber. 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 I've been playing this one called the, the Talos Principle, I think it's... Talos. Or, yeah, Talos, Talos Principle. Yeah. Um, it's just, like, I really couldn't tell what the game was other than it was a, a bizarre first-person puzzle game, but I saw all the awards that this thing was winning, so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to I'm gonna check it out, and then I think it went on sale, and I grabbed it, and absolutely love it. It's like, like I said, it's a first-person game, but you can swap between third-person. You play as this, like, this android or this robot person, and you find yourself in, like, I don't want to make it sound like Portal, because it's totally not like Portal, but you find yourself in, like, um, what feels like some sort of a testing not a chamber, but like facility. this world, like a, it's not even a facility, but it's like a, a, a um, sort of a augmented reality world. Like it's, you could tell you're on is in it, this place. that's like too beautiful. And it's definitely been like created by some sort of a God. And there's also this, this like booming narrative God like voice that's sort of narrating you through the game and, and saying like, it makes you feel like you're one of its children and it's sort of guiding you through these, these, um, these challenges or these, um, it's like you, it's, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know. Just, um, yeah. Just pick it, it when t- you win. Well, yeah. It's yeah. like, it guides you through these like tests, you know, like you have to overcome these challenges in life to figure out the meaning of life oh, sort okay. of thing. And so you there's w- like a deeper meaning behind yeah, all of it. Yeah. It's very atmospheric and you feel like there's some going to be some sort of emotional deep connection that happens throughout the game, but you have to earn the right to find that out, mm-hmm. which is kind of the idea of the game, but also the experience as well as you're driven to figure out what this deeper meaning is by playing it. Uh, I want to play that. Like the second that goes on sale, I'm, I got to pick that one it's up too. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's got a lot of like, 
um, they throw you into a room and it's not a lot of it's outside, but you're in this like section and you can, and sort of like antechamber where you can sort of see what your, what, what, what the solution of the puzzle is like laid out in front of you. Like, what am I supposed to do to get to point B mm-hmm. or whatever? Or here's the tools laid out in front of me. How do I use them to solve yeah. this? Yeah. It's really good. I, I'm, I'm hoping Sounds to get it and wash the antechamber taste out of my mouth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when you talk when you talk about antechamber, I, I realize you know it sounds like the game I'm playing, except this one. Well, you know, and <laughs> this and one I, I liked. <laughs> well, they both might be good. I don't know, but I like this one. Well, I mean, I know we were talking that one thing I didn't like about antechamber specifically, and I don't know if we talked about this um, previously, was that there doesn't seem to be a lot of logic to what's sort of going on. There's a lot of you know, it ends up being a lot of trial and error to sort of get through it. And I kind of like one where you think about it a bit and then work your way through it rather than just like throw every single thing well, at the wall until you finally figure it out. It sounds like the puzzle itself is figuring out the broken logic. How does mm-hmm. how does the logic of this room to the developer of the game, like how did he design this room to work, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas something like Talos Principle, it's... Um, like it, it, it takes you through it, like holds your hand a little bit, like the puzzles incrementally get harder. Mm. So you use your knowledge and your smarts, like what you've learned from the previous to get better and better. And I like that. that yeah. I know, you, I know, know you actual said, logic. Yeah. I know you said you didn't want to make it sound like portal, but it sounds a lot like portal, well, but just in a d- totally different skin. In the, in the puzzle way, it's yeah. totally portal, but I didn't want story wise for it to sound like portal because yeah. it's not at all, but, no. but it's, it is an interesting game. Very cool. So that is a perfect addition to our giveaway this this month. So uh, so the three games we have so far this month are the Halo Spartan Bundle, Antichamber, and the Talos Principle. And we're adding the three games from last month because nobody won. Uh, Overcooked, Sonic Adventure 2, and Dear God. So you get to pick two games hey, from those six. If you really wanted to, you could get Talos Principle and Antichamber and then compare them for yourself and then complain to us. Yeah, about there you go. And then you can be like, you, Aaron, you're yeah. a fool. <laughs> Antichamber's <You> great. Fool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so that's our giveaway. And to win that giveaway, you do what you always do. You hop onto Twitter. You go to at VGM Generations on Twitter, and you just click that retweet button one time, and your chances to win are as good as what are they, Jordan? One and one. Oh, they're one and one. That's <laughs> correct. Uh, you win. Nothing. Uh, <laughs> you don't win the game though. Um, but yeah, so three tweets go out every week for the podcast: Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, and all you got to do is click retweet on one of those three tweets, or leave us a review on iTunes or a comment on SoundCloud. And uh, yeah, you can win two of those six games. And yeah, so that's about it for this week. Uh, And we'll catch you on the next one.